Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good afternoon, listeners. This is the DOGS program. The Australian Council of Defence of Government Schools are here every Saturday at 12 midday to defend and to promote public education. And we also, because we are defending public education, are unambiguously against state aid for private religious schools because we believe in the separation of religion and the state. And because of uh, this latter part of our objectives, because that is one of our objectives, to fight for the separation of the religion from the state in order to defend public education, we have an interesting uh, news for you in our press release 743, which is on our website at www.adocs.info. Charitable exemptions, the underside of the state aid iceberg under pressure. A private member's bill was tabled in Parliament by the member for Victoria's Reason Party, Fiona Patton. The purpose of this bill was to amend the Charities Act. If passed, the bill was intended to exclude the advancement of religion as a charitable purpose and remove tax exemptions available to religious institutions in Victoria, particularly those which ran businesses. And uh, the dogs wonder whether or not the Catholic Church really regards its schools as part of the education industry. Uh, Now, this would threaten this bill that she uh, put down as a private member's bill would have threatened not only churches and religious groups but all religious charities and any commercial enterprises owned by the religious groups. Such a bill, we believe, could also have implications for the educational enterprises which are run by religious groups, even though they claim that they're not for profit. They certainly make some profits. It might be expected, as might be expected, the religious lobby groups revved up. They claimed that religious activities had been recognised for 400 years as one of the heads of charity. But is this correct? Uh, I'll speak a bit more about this later. The Elizabethan Charitable Uses Act of 1601 did not list religious institutions as one of the uses of charity and certainly not educational institutions. Uh, Elizabeth's father had set up grammar schools and had 
had closed the monasteries, you might remember. This act only referred to the upkeep of church towers, church buildings, almost certainly because the bell in such towers warned the local communities of fires, so it was a public purpose. The billions of Australian tax expenditures, and I use that word tax expenditures because they're taxes foregone through exemptions and they amount to billions and billions of dollars, almost certainly more than the taxation exemptions that the LNP are talking about for big corporations. And these taxation expenditures for religious charitable institutions in Australia amount to billions of dollars a year. So not unsurprisingly, the religious lobby groups turned up in force in Spring Street on March the 22nd, 2018 to attend a parliamentary update for faith communities and to discuss the implication of the private member's bill. The Media and Communications Office of the Catholic Church, Melbourne, issued the following media release, and I'll quote from it. This afternoon, that's the 22nd of March, members of all religious traditions gathered in the Legislative Council Chamber of the Parliament of Victoria to attend a parliamentary update for faith communities. The aim of the session was to discuss the implication of the private member's bill tabled by the Victoria Reason Party's MP Fiona Patton to amend the Charities Act. Present at the gathering were members of the Catholic Archdiocese, the Islamic Council, the Baptist Church, the Greek Orthodox Church, the Coptic Orthodox Church, the Buddhist community, the Hindu community, the Jewish community and the Church of the Latter-day Saints. Very ecumenical when it comes to, to money and taxation exemptions, aren't they? The update was hosted by Inga Pulich, MLC, Shadow Minister for Multicultural Affairs and Co-Chair of the Parliamentary Friends of Faith Communities and was supported by the Honourable Bruce Atkinson, MLC, President of the Legislative Council. Now, this uh, President of the Legislative Council becomes a bit important later on because he made a key decision. Francis Moore, the Executive Director of the Catholic Archbishop of Melbourne, addressed the Chamber and outlined his opposition to the Bill. He said that supporting the retention of advancement of religion among charitable purposes presumed to have a public benefit has legislative precedence, he said. Because, you see, um, that it is presumed that relig- having a religious purpose has some kind of public benefit. For over 400 years, he claimed, there's been a presumption that public benefit includes the relief of poverty, the advancement of education and the advancement of religion. And, dear listeners, that's what I'm questioning back in 1601. In Australia, the United Kingdom and New Zealand, advancement of religion is recognised as a charitable purpose. That's true, um, but not from... 1601, but it's from another case called, a case called the Archbishop of Durham case, and the most important case is in 1891, the Pemsel case. Uh, to argue for exclusion of advancement of religion in Victoria from the concept of public benefit represents an attempt to overthrow a major underpinning of society as we know it, said Mr. Moore. Well, um, perhaps society as we know it needs to be overthrown in this, in this regard. Uh, sometimes changes do occur. Uh, look what happened uh, more recently uh, in the same-sex uh, marriage debate. 
He outlined a number of wide-reaching ramifications, including an increase in regulatory burdens. Quote, it is my hope that the major parties will quickly recognise that proceeding with this bill is a folly and it should not be allowed to pass the Parliament, said Mr Moore. Dan Flynn, the Victorian Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, pointed out that places used exclusively as places of worship would be exempt from land tax, yet this was problematic given the range of charitable activities conducted on the premises of faith communities. What Miss Patton is doing with this bill is to strike at the very heart of charity, he said. Well, it's certainly striking at the very heart of taxation exemptions. Strike out at churches and the charitable activity will dry up. Well, I wonder. Interesting. Mark Stedden, the former Crown Counsel to the Attorney-General of Victoria and Adjunct Professor of Law at Monash University, delineated the complex legal ramifications of the bill. This bill seems to not be thought through. It will create a profound mess in the law of charity and to some extent the law of taxation, said Mr Snedden. Well, it would certainly cause problems, um, I would think. And so on. Uh, Mr. Snedden referred to the Federal Charities Act uh, 2013, which retains advancement of religion as a charitable purpose, as does every other state. So um, Fiona Patton was having a go. Uh, and dogs note that real but diminishing strength of the religious lobby in Australian politics. The very fact that it was possible for somebody to put up a private member's bill we find very interesting. And it got lots and lots of attention in the United Kingdom. But, dear listeners, have you heard anything about it in Victoria? Not even the age, which was starting to go a bit feral, uh, reminded us of this matter. Fiona Patton may not be successful this time round, and she hasn't been, but the fact that she's in Parliament and able to put a private member's bill on this issue means that separation of religion from the state and the basic issue of freedom of and from religion are gaining traction in Australian political debate. And next week I hope to be able to tell you about a new book by Luke Beck from Monash University that's come out about freedom of religion in Australia, in which uh, he actually goes back to uh, Inglis Clark and the original constitution debates as the dogs have been trying to do for many years. So uh, it's, uh, the issue has never gone away. Church and state are always problematic. Meanwhile, the history of the extraordinary level of taxation expenditures or exemptions enjoyed by religious groups in Australia is an interesting one. And the current situation, which in common law depends upon a 1891 case, uh, that's the Pemsel case in the House of Lords, should not be taken for granted. Now, back in 2006, yours truly, that's me, uh, wrote an article. Um, I gave it at a conference down in Hobart, and it's since been published in the Australian New Zealand Law and History e-journal of 2006, and it's called Pemsel Revisited, the legal definition of charitable, a case study of a movable feast. And indeed it has been a movable feast and I don't think that an 1891 pencil case should remain unchallenged, which Fiona Patton in her own 
inimitable way, did. Now, Fiona Patton's bill was killed off very quickly by that president of the uh, council up in Spring Street. He said this is unconstitutional. Even though um, it, it really dealt with exemptions, he said that in the end people would have to be paying more tax and therefore it came under Section 62 of the uh, Constitution and uh, she couldn't do it. So it was knocked off before it really got any traction. But congratulations to Fiona, who um, opened up this issue, because uh, as far as the dogs are concerned, although we, we can get lots of information about direct grants to religious institutions, particularly to schools in Australia, there is this other big iceberg just under the surface of all the multiple exemptions that they get because of the fact that they are educational institutions and they are also religious institutions and this goes back to the four heads of charity laid down in the 1891 pencil case. Although the most obvious um, concerns uh, for any taxpayer or citizen uh, would be, and certainly for any small business person, would be the leg up that the uh, religious institutions get in their commercial, openly commercial enterprises, such as funeral parlours and so on, uh, because they don't have to pay tax at all. Um, they are in a much better position to run such enterprises than, for example, um, the local business who has to pay GST and all sorts of other taxes, income tax and so on. So um, that is what I think Fiona and other people would be, would be more obviously concerned about since um, back in 2005, uh, somebody did all of the all of the um, the figures. That was Max Wallace, who wrote a book called The Purple Economy, and he decided in 2005 that we were dealing with a 70 billion dollar uh, purple economy back then. So um, we do like to have a few evidence-based ideas about these matters, because evidence-based. Uh, ideas is what we're going to be talking about a bit later with Robert but uh, for the moment we'll leave it there and have a little bit of music and then Robert will get back to you on what has been in the news, views and um, opinions and so on in the last week or so
Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. And, of course, we have Jean's press release, which we always start off with when she's here. And she's not dilly-dallying around the countryside, having a lovely time. It's good to have her back in the studio with myself and Dale here for the Dogs Program, the Defenders of Government Schools. Um, as Jean promised earlier, yes, I'm going to go through what's been going on in this little country of ours called Australia when it comes to education funding and perhaps some details from around the world. But I think the fascinating thing that's come out is that the various state school bodies that aren't the dogs have started to come out of the woodwork because things have got that bad. Now, when I say that bad, um, I often mention here on the dogs program that when we're discussing schools or education policy or even children, there is a basic assumption that is true in Australia, and that is if your parents are poor, your education is worse. If your parents are rich, then your education is better. Socioeconomic status, indications of uh, economic advantage, all, all these things and numbers that mean something in Australia. And it's always a basic assumption. Even the good guys, even the Trevor Colbells and the, um, and the Chris Bonners of the world have to take this into account when talking about education. That is to say that if your parents are poor, your educational outcomes are worse. If your parents are rich, then your educational outcomes are better. Now, this is actually independent of what school you go to. This is independent of what school sector your, your child or the child goes to. So this is true independent of whether it's a state school, whether it's a Catholic school, whether it's an independent school, or indeed whether they're homeschooled. Now, this simple fact in itself, I have always said, is a disgraceful admission of defeat. When I grew up as a kid, I just assumed that we all went to school and smart kids did good and, and, and dumb kids didn't. You know, you, you just... You either had natural ability or application or both, and if you had both, then, then you were cooking with gas. You could always, as a child, if you just worked a bit harder, succeed. But, of course, what I'm telling you, and what all these experts are telling you, is that that's just not true. It's down to how much money your parents earn. And your, in, your indicator of socio relative socioeconomic advantage. Now, there are countries in the world where this is not true. Whereas this, this very fact is viewed as a disgrace. This very fact is actually viewed as a waste of resources. This very simple fact that you are wasting the education of poor children in the country is in fact a national disgrace and affects productivity of the nation. It's a numbers thing. Even economists think this is a bad thing because it's a waste of a resource. You know, if, if, if kids were coal, <laughs> If kids were coal and the coal was in the ground and the way you process the coal led to efficient or inefficient outcomes or effective or ineffective outcomes, you'd stop doing all the ineffective stuff. You'd start doing all the effective stuff. You'd stop all the inefficient time wasting and you'd just do the efficient stuff and all your coal, you get the best price for it. That's what economists would do if kids were coal. But in Australia, no. No. If you come from a poor family, you're left to rot. And, you know, various people will jump over each other's children's bodies to make sure that their child is successful. Gene and I will disagree on this one. Um, I have less time for people who choose to view their educational opportunities for their child at the expense of someone else's child. Now, this has been quantified this week. I think it's fascinating. This, this waste of an economic resource, this, this functional stupidity that Australia has as an assumption at the heart of its education policy, has come out because a new report has actually now warned that the declining performance of Australian school students, and by the way, yes, they are going backwards. We are getting dumber in the next generation in terms of educational outcomes than the previous generation that the declining performance of Australian school students actually costs Australia $120 billion per annum. 
of which $20 billion is due to the rising educational inequality. Now, the finding, released on Tuesday by the Public Education Foundation, is based on six years of testing data that revealed that a stark, unpalatable fact is that reading, math and science results are falling faster and further for students who are already at the bottom of the performance curve. This trend, according to David Hetherington, should be deeply concerning for all Australians. If this continues, he says, this will lower incomes for us all. It will create, obviously, fewer job opportunities. It will have a less dynamic society, and that affects all of us. And only the kids at the bottom will actually bear the direct brunt of this. Well, I'm not quite sure that's true. I think we'll all bear the brunt of it, because our our near neighbours here in Asia are not doing the same thing. Our near neighbours in Asia are doing the opposite. Our near neighbours in Asia are putting all the money they can possibly have, taxpayers' money, everyone's money, into boosting the educational outcomes. And our far neighbours in Germany and some places of Europe, the Scandinavian countries, are certainly not doing it. Yes. Now, the report that that comes out with these figures, this $20 billion waste of money that we're doing every year, is called What Price the Gap? Education and Inequality in Australia. It attempts to quantify the future economic loss caused by our students' sliding economic outcomes. Of course, and all these outcomes are measured in the in the wonderful PISA study. Well, wonderful, I use that in inverted commas, in the PISA study, which is the International Comparison of Countries' Educations. Now, to get into the nitty-gritty, look, about 10 years ago, in 2009, between then and 2015, the average performance of students at the 10th percentile, which is the bottom 10% of students, fell by 21.3%. At the 90th percentile, which is the top end, it also fell, but not by as much. It fell by 14. So everyone in Australia is getting dumber relatively because of our education system and the way it's being funded. Even the smart kids, they're falling, but the kids down the bottom in the the 10th percentile, they're falling at almost twice the rate. The gap was most pronounced in reading, where scores at the lower end fell nearly twice as much. That's what we're doing now. Our funding policies are setting up the situation now, Gonski 1.0, Gonski 2.0, as long as, you, as long as you bifurcate, as long as you cut the children down the middle, saying, okay, you're all going to private schools, you're all going to public schools, have good luck over there, and fund the, and using taxpayers' funding, funding to fund the lot, we are going to continue to have this split in, in, in inequality, or indeed inequity. Now, in the OECD estimates, 50 points change in a country's PISA score is associated with a change in long-term GDP growth of around about 1% a year. Okay, I'm going to say that again. If you're changing and lowering the education outcomes of your country, that is directly associated, correlated with the long-term gross domestic product of that country. So that's just pure numbers. That's just economics talking. The Public Education Foundation used this figure to estimate the damage to the Australian economy at $120 billion over the working lives of the current crop of school leavers. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. So this, this situation that's been allowed to develop, which the dogs have been fighting for years and years, and far be it from me to say that the dogs are in fact economic rationalists, because that's what we're saying. We're saying it is irrational to silo poor children into one schooling system, defund the system, make sure that their their education results 
decrease at a greater rate than the rich kids. But by the way, the rich kids in Australia aren't doing much good either because functionally there's only so much money you can throw at a child in terms of their education. I don't know if there's anyone out there that has, has any idea about this, but you can only have so many tutors. You can only have so many after-school classes. You can only have so much preparation for an exam. You still have to sit the exam. Robert, you can only have so much duplication. It's ridiculous that you should have a public education system which you defund, which is open to all children, and another system, well, actually multiple systems, which duplicate, quadruplicate, um, you know, going on and on and on, uh, your major system. Because the major system is your, is, is your major system. It has in Australia the major part of our population being educated in it. And the others are in fact bringing it down. They are parasitic. Um, that's just the historical uh, reality of it. Uh, and it's been proved. It was proved in the 19th century. And we're just going back and making the same mistake that we made in the 19th century and we got ourselves out of it. We got rid of the public funding of these parasitic systems uh, and now we're right back in it again. It's, it's just common sense and it's very sad indeed that Australia has not learnt its lesson. Yeah, so separating children out on the basis of the income of their parents is economic madness. It is just a waste of a resource. But it actually has another more obvious and just, just far more stupid, a, number, a much more obvious and a far more dangerous short-term problem, which I'll be talking about after the break. Because if you separate children out on the basis of their parental income, that's kind of like separating children out on the basis of the colour of their skin or separating children out on the basis of the religion that their parents adhere to. It leads to tribalism. Now, it is true that in Australia it is illegal to separate children out on the colour of their skin. We are not yet an apartheid country. However, it is actively encouraged by the current government to separate the children out on the basis of the income of their parents. And the government physically and financially subsidises separating children out on the basis of the faith that their parents adhere to. And I'll be talking about the consequences of that after these messages. But these listener sponsors who keep the radio station going, when you become a listener sponsor, you get a part of this radio station. You get a little part of it. It's yours. You get a little share of it. It's 3CR subscriber drive, and we're asking you to show your love for 3CR. Support your favourite show by calling us on 9419 8377 or online 3cr.org.au/slash-subscribe. $35 unwaged, $70 waged, or 150 solidarity. Subscribe to 3CR today. People lining up uh, out in the street, uh, out in Swiss Street and Collingwood, lining up to take out their list of sponsorship. Yes, welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on AM Dial. I was talking just before the break about social segregation. In, in South Africa, back in most of the 20th century, this was called apartheid. colour of your skin defined what benefits you could accrue from your country. 
if your skin was a certain colour, there was a very small subset or a small subset of all the things that, were, that you had access to. And if your skin was of another colour, then in terms of the economy, you could access much more. Uh, back in South Africa, that was whether you had white skin or coloured skin or black skin. Mm. Here in Australia, we don't have that. We're a much more civilised country. We, seg- we separate our children out on far more subtle measures. Because recently, census data has revealed that Australia's social segregation in Australian schools is increasing rapidly. In a report put together by Barbara Preston, it shows that social segregation in Australia has increased markedly in the past 40 years. Markedly, past 40 years. Jean, can you just write, how long have we been funding private schools with taxpayers' money in Australia? It started off in the dribs and drabs for science laboratories and libraries uh, in the early 1960s with Menzies. Then in 1969, there were uh, fairly minimal direct grants, uh, which Mr Fraser, as Minister for Education, was responsible for. And then uh, in 1973, with the Whitlam government and the, and the Schools Commission, they started pouring money into what they thought were poor parish schools. But the Catholic education officers uh, made sure that a lot of that money didn't go to the poor parish schools, but was used to build new poor parish schools. And so it's been going on. Uh, ad, in, ad infinitum since then. It's been getting worse and worse. I think perhaps the worst um, ideas were put forward by Mr Howard in the late 1990s and I think it's generally agreed amongst all of the public and private school people who've got any kind of um, uh, conscience that what Howard did was... Uh, pretty unconscionable and has led to the current very, very unequal situation that we are experiencing in Australia. Yeah. And also what you're saying is 40 years plus or minus 10. Yeah. About 40 years. So there has been a significant increase in social segregation in Australian schools and indeed in Australian society starting going over back 40 years, which is about when state aid to private schools started. Now I'm going to take an aside for this because... I'm going to tell you just at the end of what I'm about to say. What proportion of poor children go to state schools? What proportion of poor children go to Catholic schools? And what proportion of poor children go to independent schools? Before I do that, I'm going to read an article from The Australian. It's a fascinating article. It was written by Rebecca Urban, who's a national education correspondent for, for The Australian newspaper, a Murdoch well, publication. Well, in the last few weeks, of course, The Australian, the Murdoch Press, has really been pushing the uh, Roman Catholic or the Catholic um, Education Office's uh, bandwagon, really, really pushing it, because they want more money. They're never satisfied for their schools, but they also want complete control of how they spend that money. Which is indeed a separate issue. We'll be talking about this an interesting article by Rebecca Urban after these messages. For three years teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government funded primary school education and of a government funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world. And there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. Our education is not for profit. Our education is not for profit. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Hey! 
Yes, Rebecca Rabbit in the Australian newspaper of last week mentions the Catholic school families. This is the Catholic school families. Typically earn significantly less than their neighbours who send their children to independent schools, which means that they're relatively poor. According to analysis of census data, adding weight to the Catholic sector's claim that the method of calculating funding for non-government schools is biased. The analysis by the Catholic Education Commission of Victoria is part of a campaign to overhaul a system that found that Catholic schools' families have lower household income than independent schools' family in 55% of, so almost half, more, slightly more than half of neighbourhoods. In Sydney, it's even worse. Catholic school families have lower household earnings in 72% of statistical areas, and in 61% of neighbourhoods, the difference exceeds 10%. This is the parents, poor parents are sending their children to Catholic schools. Hang on, relatively poor parents are sending their children to Catholic schools and not to independent schools. So. That's what we're getting in the Australian. I'll relative t- to what? Relative to what? Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell you right now, Dale. The, the analysis from Barbara Preston from the Australian Census data shows that poor kids in independent schools, 10% of poor children go to independent schools. So that's not many. 15% of children, poor children, go to Catholic schools. This is in the lower lower two percentiles. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh. 75% of low-income students attend public schools. So they're saying that children who get... This article is telling me that the poor Catholic school parents aren't as rich as the kids go, but 75% of low-income students attend public schools in Australia. That's costing us, what was it, how many billion dollars? Uh. Because they're not properly funded. Yep. It's, it's just, so this, this article is talking about relative poverty because 25% of all the poor children don't go to either, do not go to either of these school sectors. They don't go to Catholic schools, they don't go to independent schools, and they're not homeschooled, they're in state schools. Robert, there's and a so lot. This, this, it's just, there's, there's, there's a madness to it all. There's, there's just a craziness to it all. And it's not just dividing children up on the basis of their income through their schooling. You know, it used to be the case that in certain circles you would be asked what school you went to and whether the conversation would progress would depend upon your answer. Now, that, that, that used to be about two or three sort of sentences in when you met a stranger. You'd say, oh, so what school did you go to? You know, two or three. Now it's straight up. Now it's straight up. So, are you worth talking to? What school did you go to? Yes, no. That's, that's just the way it is in Australia these days. And that's just an accepted thing. And here at the dogs, we have always said, and we'll continue to say, that is disgusting, that is inefficient, that is ineffective, that is, that is immoral. And we'll just have to keep saying it. In fact, I'll have to get Fiona Patton on in the next couple of weeks to have her chat about this as well, because I know she has very similar views. But this is all very, very depressing. In fact, in state schools, with these children, there are some fabulous teachers and some fabulous things going. Uh, I don't know about you, Robert, but... Um, I find that some of the people in this lower quartile are really worth knowing. This is where it's really, really rather um, interesting. Oh, the insecure middle class are actually not as uh, resilient or as interesting to know sometimes as the people who have to struggle. And there's a lovely story in The Age this week about uh, a state school Doveton College and what they're doing for people 
who are struggling. Indeed. In fact, Doveton, Doveton College is actually going to be our great state school of the week. And I'm going to tell you a fair bit more about what's going on down in Doveton because it's absolutely fascinating what's going on down in Doveton after, again, a little bit of music. Every week on the Doctor Program, we have a special segment to show a different state school is a great school. State schools are great. Schools. School of the week. State school. School of the week. Great state schools. State schools. School of the week. School for the week here on the Dogs Program. 
Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. It's time for Great State Schools, and I'm talking about a really interesting Great State School. What's going on down at Doveton College? Now, there's been some, um, some, some note taken of what's going on down in Doveton in the press lately, but I just want to give you, before I tell you what they're talking about Doveton in the age, just, just give you a little, a little taste of what this school's all about. This school has an Ixia value of 901. Mm. Okay, now a thousand is the median for Australia, and mm. it's down nine hundred. There's a couple of schools lower than that. There's a couple of schools in the eight hundred, but there ain't many. Okay, sixty-five percent of the school's population come from the lowest quartile of Australian family. These are the poorest Australian family, and they're all in one place, and they're all down in Dufton. Now I'm going to hear Dale's going to let us know what's going on in terms of the publicity in the age, but then I'm going to tell, dig a little bit deeper because this is a fascinating story for about a fascinating school, indeed a great state school, and the school is called Dufton College. Thanks, Rob. Yes, this is an article that was in the Age on March the 31st, entitled "Enrolling the Community." When Patsy Huggins arrived at Doveton College, she had no qualifications, no confidence and bad teeth. She enrolled her daughter in the school's early learning centre and then signed up for an education for herself. The school also put her in touch with a dentist who fitted her out with dentures. I had a car accident when I was 19 and lost some of my teeth and that put my self-confidence way down here, she said, pointing to the ground. Doveton College is unlike any other in Australia any other Australian school. The disadvantaged state school in Melbourne's southeast doesn't just enrol students, it enrols families. It's a one-stop shop with an award-winning early learning centre, short, co- short courses for parents, community programs, doctors, psychologists, paediatricians, fitness classes, playgroups, employment services and hundreds of extracurricular activities. Now the pioneering model, which is a partnership between the Coleman Foundation and the state government, is being expanded to another 10 disadvantaged Victorian schools. These include Morwell Central Primary School, Seymour College, Carlton Primary School, Robinvale P-12 and Bridgewood Primary School. The Coleman Foundation and its philanthropic partners committed $30 million over the next decade to make this a reality. It also donated $1.8 million to help build Doveton College, which opened in 2012 and is spending $500,000 a year on its support services. Philanthropist and retired businessman Julius Coleman said the initiative, which is called Our Place, transforms schools into community hubs. We hunt down all the services and try to deliver them in an ordered way, ordered wraparound way, rather than a piecemeal way, he said. He said none of the services were pushed onto the families. They elect to do something about their lives. He said they can improve their English, their breastfeeding, their relationship with others, and do training to that training that leads to qualifications and jobs. Zara, an African refugee who didn't speak a word of English when she arrived in Australia, is among about 200 parents who complete short courses at the school every year, while their children study in nearby classrooms. In her English classes, she has learnt basic conversational skills and how to purchase food at the supermarket. 
I didn't have a lot of confidence. Now I do, she said. Principal Greg McMahon said the unique approach to education was paying off, with student attendance increasing from 85% to 93% over the past three years. Students' academic performance is also on the rise. 95% of Years 3, 5 and 7 students perform at or above the minimum standards in NAPLAN. All Year 9 students meet this benchmark. Dufton College has evolved from a school with low aspirations to one with constant academic growth. It's an impressive feat for a school where 65% of families are from the most disadvantaged cohort in Australia. At any point in time, about 30 students are in state care. More than 60% of students are from non-English speaking backgrounds. If you start early, you have a chance, Mr McMahon said. This is the on, this is only needed in areas of disadvantaged. The middle class don't need this. They have the confidence to go out and find all of this. But in areas that haven't shifted the needle for three generations, this works. Ms Huggins, who dropped out of school in year 11, said Dovton College had taught her about the value of education. This is something she passed on to her seven-year-old daughter, Rose. Rose's favourite thing about school is reading. I love, love, love reading, the year two student said. Miss Huggins had been unemployed for more than 20 years when she enrolled in hospitality leadership and literacy courses at Dalton College. She then completed a certificate three and four in education support. All the hard work paid off. Miss Huggins has now been working full-time as a teaching aide at Dalton College for the past two years. Everyone here helped me build my confidence up and helped me realise that I am worth something, she said. Absolutely fascinating. Absolutely fascinating. Going down there in Dufton, just, just on the outer side of Dandenong in, in Melbourne southwest. Absolutely fascinating. Now, this is a state school. Now, it's a state school that's been set up by the state government and I think it's absolutely fascinating because what was happening down there, there were problems. There were problems, there were problems within the context of the education in the area in, in, in Dandenong. Now there were a number of schools that weren't succeeding and they were merged. Fascinatingly merged, I, I would suggest to you. They were merged into one school and the one school was Dovton College. Now, Dovton College consisted of what was Dovton Heights Primary School, Dovton North Primary School, the Doveton Primary School, the Umemorine Primary School, and then the Doveton College took in the early years of the Endeavour Hill Secondary College as well. So it's a P to 9 school. So there were a large number of small, small primary schools which were deemed to be not doing very well. So they were put together onto one campus, and that was called Doveton College. Now, this school itself has in it around about... 700 kids, 750 kids. So that's quite a big school. There's about 75 teachers. So that's a ratio, teachers and assistant staff. So there's a ratio of staff to students of about 1 to 10. Now, as I said before, and as as Dale was pointing out, 65% of the kids come from the lowest quartile in terms of economic advantage in Australia. 23% come from the low middle. So you have in total almost 90% of the kids are from the poorest half of Australian society. 
2% come from the richest quartile, just by the way. Now, if you're a parent down there, where do you send your kid? Well, you've got options. You can send them to the Holy Family Primary School, or there's a there's a Christian school, the Maharatha Christian School. You can send them to the Ilim College in Doveton. They have a campus down there. You can send them to St. Paul's Apostles South Catholic Primary School. And you can send them all the way, if, if you've got a table, you can send them to another state school, but it's a fair way away, a James Cook Primary School. So there's plenty of private school options around, but they are nowhere near as good. Because if you look at the actual outcomes in terms of NAPLAN for this school, it's absolutely fascinating. It's been going now for around about five years. But in terms of their NAPLAN results, something fascinating, something absolutely fascinating is going on. They now, put bear, resources into bear it. Bear in mind, they? 80% of these kids, 80% of these kids are from the lower, are from the poorest families. 65% are from the absolute poorest. In terms of their reading and writing in third grade, they are well above, not just the average for similar schools, but above rich kids as well. For writing, it goes all the way through to year seven. None of the results are below what you would expect for, for the kids in their schools. They're doing really, really well. Just across the board. And it relates a lot, I think, to what, to what, um, to what Dale was referring to in terms of the whole school policy. There's a couple of other interesting things. It's absolutely fascinating school. Talking about the Coleman Foundation. Now this was done in conjunction with the Coleman Foundation. So what is this Coleman Foundation? Is it some sort of public-private partnership? Well, this Coleman Foundation is an American group. It you, sounds like a genuine, a genuine charity, is it? It is. It's from Chicago. Not a religious charity. It's not a religious charity. Oh. It's not a religious charity. It's not even an educational charity. Hmm. Although they do do educational work. They give money to oncology research. And they give money to disadvantaged schools in the Chicago, Michigan, and, and, and Central American areas. And Dandenong in Melbourne. Yeah. Absolutely fascinating. It's private. It's independent. It's a grant maker. Its primary focus is actually in Midwest America. It establishes core programs in terms of cancer care, developmental disabilities, and entrepreneurship education. So they've seen what's going on in Dandenong at the Coleman Foundation and says something's got to be done. Well, somebody out at Dandenong had an idea. They they found out about these people and got some money out of them. They did. the sound of it. Um, I think it some pretty enterprising people out there in Dandenong. Indeed. You have to be, don't you? Mm, mm, you yes, do. indeed. Yeah, absolutely fascinating. Now, let's just talk about how much money's being, uh, taxpayers' money's being spent on all of this, all, all of this goodness. Well, let's, let's, let's do the breakdown. Um, in total, for every single kid that goes there, they're spending $17,500 per kid, which is more than the Magic 13, which I was talking about the Magic 13. In fact, it's five more. Now, in terms of private sources, what's gone into that? Well, there's a bit over $3,000 coming in for each student for each year from private sources, which I'm sure would include the Common Foundation. Mm plus a great deal of interesting work when it comes to capital work. Capital expenditure, making the place look nice and giving it decent facilities. great deal of other money, in fact $69,000 last year, came in from, from private sources for a state school, and I assume that's the Coleman Foundation. Mm. But state governments, just a bit over $11,000, and the federal government's kicking in about $3,000. So still the vast majority of the, of, of the money that's coming in 
comes from state and federal government. Fees and charges to the parents? How much would you expect in a, in a school like this you'd be charging fees to the parents each year? Well, the answer, of course, is $48. $48 is the fees that you would send, and that includes things like textbooks, you know, all, 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 all the stuff you'd expect just to send in, in pencils and stuff. $48 a year. Wouldn't it be wonderful if it was none and we had a genuinely free education system for everybody in public schools throughout Australia worth paying taxes for? So $14,000 of the 17 or so is coming from state and federal government. So they're, they're, they're still, you know, I'm very happy to pay this money to, to do this work. Mm. And, and what are they doing? They're not just educating the kids, they're, they're supporting the families they're in terms of both health and psychological outcomes. The whole thing is working together. It's, it's actually a model of what a school, and dare I say this, and I very, very, very rarely I use this word, what a school should be, what they're doing down there in Doveton. And quite frankly, they could do it without the common foundation's money. It's, 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 shown, it's shown that the model works. It's proof of concept as far as I'm concerned. And I'm, if, if you're down there in Dublin, I'm sure you would have to be an enormously co- committed religious person to be sending your child to one of the religious schools in the local area, because I wouldn't be. Mm. I wouldn't be sending them to a private school if you've got that kind of school around the corner. And, of course, then they'll get all resentful. I'm spending all my money sending my child to a private school, and the state school down the road is even better. Someone should do something and make the state <laughs> school worse, because otherwise I'm looking quite stupid and wasting all my money. <laughs> Yes, yes, I'm sorry being a bit sarcastic there. You've been listening to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and you've been listening to us for an hour, myself, Dale and Jane, but we've been uncovering things you won't hear on the mainstream press. Um, here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial, we are a community radio station. Now, if you want to find out more about what we've been talking about, you can at our website at www.adogs.info. That's www adogs.info and of course you can contact us via 3CR in fact if you know a great state school out there, if you know a great state school, can you let the station know and they'll let us know and then we'll do a review of it here on the Dogs Program now you can get, get of course you can get hold of us at the website which is um, www.3cr.org.au that's www.3cr.org.au or indeed, you could call the radio station 94198377. That's 94198377. Just call up, call up through and say, I've got a really cool, cool state school around the corner. Can you, can you, can you get the dogs to do a review of it? That will be passed on to us and your suggestions will indeed be put to air. But from now, until next week, it's going to be a little bit of a goodbye from myself, Jen and Dale. But don't worry, we'll be back because the fight, unfortunately, has to continue. Yeah, stupid doesn't seem to go away. So, <laughs> so we need the dogs program to let people be aware of what on earth is going on with our education system here in Australia. And indeed, issues, as Jen was saying, of separation of religion from the state here in this great country called Australia. But until next week, it's bye for now. Says he, I never die.
as I am standing by my bed. They framed you on a murder charge, says Joe, but I'm dead, says Joe, but I'm dead. The copper bosses killed you, Joe, they shot you, Joe, says I, takes more than guns to kill a man. Says Joe, I didn't die. Says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill went on to organize. Went on to organize from San Diego up to Maine in every mine and mill where workers strike and organize. It's there you find your hill. It's there you find. Sir. Mm-hmm.